This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. We had a friend come over last night, and uh, her and her daughter had just gotten back from a ski trip up in the northern parts of Michigan. Daughter, four years old, a lot of fun, love her to pieces, uh, but she can kind of lend herself towards a little bit of drama. She can be a little dramatic, as you know, four-year-old girls can be, five-year-old boys can be too, but she, she leans towards drama. Unfortunately, during this little ski trip up north, she came down with a little bit of a stomach bug. And so we got a four-year-old who likes a little bit of drama, who is now throwing up all over the place. Yes, I know, I know, I know. This is so awesome. This is great. Um, but what she wanted to know, what the girl wanted to know was, why was she getting sick? What was causing her to throw up? What was it that was coming against her? An example, she said that they were, uh, the mom said they were out sitting around a campfire and she, the dog breathing a little bit of smoke and she started throwing up. Is the smoke making me throw up? Is it the smoke that's doing this? Is this why I'm throwing up? No, 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 no. She'd drink a little bit of water and she'd throw up. Is the water, is the water making me throw up? Mother, is it the water that's throwing us? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Mom's praying over. Mom's, you know, devout lover, Jesus. And girl loves Jesus. And at one moment through the night, she just looks up at mom. Mom, why doesn't God hear me? Why doesn't God hear me? Now that's a question, right? That's a question. Why is it, mom, when I am on the threshold of death? Dude, that's just a matter of perspective, right? But when you're a four-year-old and all you do is throw up all the time, that's death. I mean, wives, those of you who have husbands who are throwing that, they're like, they just might as well die. Just men, we don't handle sick well either, do we? But when I'm on the threshold of death, does, why does it seem like God doesn't hear me? What is he doing? Is he busy? Does he have something else going on? Why does it seem like in the midst of my suffering and my pain that God is not paying attention to me? That's a good question. How many of you have wrestled with that question? How many of you have been in that situation, right? Yeah, I've been there. I've been there, sure, absolutely. Some of you are reading scripture daily with me. We're reading through the Bible. And if you've been doing that, then for the last few weeks, you've been in the book of Job. (laughs) I love it. Oh, oh, I love my job. What's Job famous for? Suffering, right? He is famous for suffering. He's known for suffering. Here's a man, good man. We're told from the beginning, here's a good man who all of a sudden seems to be caught up in some weird, sick, divine wager between the powers in heaven coming before God and saying, hey, the only reason that Job is good to you and nice is because you give him nice stuff. Tell you what, let me bring some suffering and then we'll see what Job says. And then God's like, I'll take that bet. I'll take that bet. 
And what you see very quickly is a man who loses his health, loses his family, loses his wealth, and even his wife's like, just curse God and die. And then Job has to start to process. He asks questions. Why, why is this happening? And why does it seem like God doesn't hear me? On what grounds does God think that he can levy this on me? And three friends show up. Good, loving, Christian friends, right? We all had those, right, who love to give you good Christian advice. Well, Brother Job, we all know you're a sinner. This is probably why you're being judged by the Lord. How many of you of us have had friends offer great advice in the midst of our suffering and pain? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, seriously? You're not helpful at all. In fact, what do we find out? These three friends are not helpful at all. They don't give Job good insight or perspective. In fact, Job even starts to lose his way in the midst of his suffering. And he starts to hold it to God a little bit. Towards you get towards the end of the book, in the last couple of chapters, you've been reading this. <clears throat> in fact, yesterday you read this. A younger man by the name of Elihu shows up. And many scholars think that Elihu really is the embodiment of the author of the book. Because the way he says things and presents things is he's showing us what Job should have seen and the friend should have seen from the beginning. And Elihu steps up and he says, Job, he's the only one who calls Job by name. And he says, hey, I know I'm younger. And so I let the older guys talk, and that's fine. And Job, I respect you, but they're wrong. They're completely wrong. And Job, I think there's some things that you've forgotten. You're asking, why doesn't God hear me? Why isn't God speaking in the midst of my suffering? And then he gives Job an excellent response, an excellent answer to a question, whether you're four years old and puking, or you're 94 and on the edge of death. It's worth hearing worth hearing and worth heeding this morning. So I'd encourage you, would you go with me to Job 33? Job 33, we're going to start there and then we're going to make a whirlwind tour and we're going to come back to Job 33. You have copies of the Bible in front of you, scripture. Cameron, um, Carmen's, excuse me, sorry, Cameron. Carmen's going to have some of the verses up. I'm going to read some that lead us up to this passage. But you can find Job 33, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. We'll get down to verse 28. And I'll stop us along the way just to make some points. Job 33. Not a uh, familiar book. Kind of hard to find. If you find the book of Psalms, then you just go back a little bit. And you're almost there. You're almost there. In the first service I was reading and people are flipping page the whole time I was reading it. I'm like, <laughs> sorry. I wasn't being sensitive. Job 33. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. Man is also rebuked or corrected with pain on his bed, with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. All right, stop. Um, the friend gives Job, uh, he makes an observation. One of the ways that God speaks to us is in the midst of those moments where we think we're close to death. And death might come in lots of shapes and sizes. 
Those moments where we are overwhelmed with sadness, overwhelmed with sickness, overwhelmed with grief to the point where we don't eat, we don't want to eat. Even if you were to put those choicest of foods that I love, some of the stuff that's out on that table, right? It's out there earlier. You don't even want to eat that because you're so grief-stricken, sick-stricken on the precipice of death. In those moments, God is speaking to you, he says. Overwhelmed with sadness, and pain, that's when he often speaks the loudest. He goes on to say, if there be for him, the man, an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand to declare to the man what is right for him, that means, is there a supernatural being who will stand in the gap for me? The one who will give me guidance and wisdom. Verse 24. And he, meaning God, is merciful to the man who's suffering. And says to the man, this is God speaking, deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth and let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God, he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy. He restores to him his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned. I perverted what was right, but it was not repaid to me. He's redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. We're gonna talk about the last part of that passage towards the end of the message, but find that verse 24. It's right in the middle. Find verse 24. Put your finger on it. God is merciful to him and says, God speaks in the suffering. What does God say in the suffering? Deliver him from going down into the pit. The pit is the place of death, the place of destruction. Deliver him from that. Why? God says, I have found a ransom. Job, you and your suffering, you don't think that God is speaking in the midst of your pain. What does God say? Ransom. I found a ransom. I found a ransom. What is the message that comes to us when we're on the precipice of death? The message of God is ransom. I brought a ransom. What turns the tide? What changes the story? What flips the page? God says, I found a ransom. What is it that moves me from death and despair into living in the light of life and God's grace? God says, it's ransom. In the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my hardship, and my toil, when I don't feel like God is speaking, God is speaking, I found you a ransom. It almost seems like ransom's a big deal. Like it almost seems like it's important. This idea, whatever it is, this R word, ransom, it almost sounds like it's something I should understand. And so maybe this morning, instead of looking at a chapter or looking at a verse or looking at a whole book 
or the whole Bible. Let's just look at one word. Let's understand the word ransom this morning. What does it mean? To do that, I'm going to tell a bunch of stories. Okay? Who doesn't like stories? Let me give you a definition for ransom, and then let's unpack this together. Uh, in your notes, and, and Carmen will bring this up. You can write down on, on that message guide that's inside of your notes. It might be helpful, but there's a few aspects to ransom I want you to understand. Ransom is a sacrificial payment for a slave's or a prisoner's freedom. That's what ransom means. Ransom is a sacrificial payment for a slave's or a prisoner's freedom. That's really, really important. Make sure you get all of those parts if you're a note taker. And we're going to unpack those things together. It's sacrificial. It's payment for a slave's or a prisoner's freedom. If you're watching online, if you can write that down, that would be very helpful for you. Let me unpack this idea for you. We have to go back thousands of years. The nation of Israel is a nation of slaves. They're prisoners in Egypt. Okay? Maybe you've seen the movie. Maybe you read the book. Okay? In fact, they were there for 400 years. For 400 years, slaves, prisoners to the Pharaoh of Egypt, building, making. For 400 years, they cry out to God, set us free, set us free, set us free. God hears their prayer, sends a man named Moses. Moses goes to the king, let my people go. And the Pharaoh says, uh, no, they're mine. They're mine. I'm not setting them free. No, let them go. No, it would be in your best interest if you let them go. Uh, no. Plague after plague after plague after plague comes against Pharaoh in Egypt. Things like the river turning to blood. Things like flies and gnats and frogs. Things like boils and hail. The 10 plagues of Egypt. And at each turn, Pharaoh's like, no, my slaves, I'm not letting them go. No, my slaves, I'm not letting them go. Until ultimately, the decision is made and God says to Moses, okay, he's going to let them go tomorrow. Because tonight, we will strike down and kill the firstborn of all of Egypt. Now, Israel, what they need to do is they need to go and kill a lamb, take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost and the angel will pass over them so that death does not visit that home. That's exactly what happens. The next morning, shrieks and moans and cries and wails from every household in all of Egypt as the firstborn in every single home is found dead. But Israel is untouched. And in that word, Pharaoh says, get out of here, go. Well, this is great. The lamb died, the lamb was sacrificed, we get to be free. Kinda, kinda. What do you mean kinda? Isn't that how they work? Mm, not quite. The firstborn of Egypt died for the nation of Egypt and their sin and what they had done. The firstborn paid the price. The firstborn of Israel was not killed. God said, they'll be mine. 
The lamb sacrificed, passed over, the firstborn of the nation is mine. But to help them understand, God said, this is what we're going to do. Instead of me taking the firstborn of Israel like I took the firstborn of Egypt, I will let the tribe of Levi serve as my priests in their place. Instead of me taking the firstborn of all of Israel, I will let the nation, I will let the tribe of Levi serve as a substitute for Israel. Oh, this is awesome. So the lamb was sacrificed, ransom. Oh, so the priest is substitute, ransom. We're good to go. Mm, not quite. Problem. Because see, there wasn't enough Levites to cover everyone in Israel. Not a one for one. There's like just enough for the Levites. So he's like, hey, okay, so if we add up all the Levites and we add up everyone else, there's going to be a discrepancy. There's going to be a difference. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to cover the rest of the debt. So we're going to take a census. Whatever the difference is, they're going to have to pay what's called a ransom money, an atonement tax to cover the difference of the ransom. What that meant was the idea of ransom was perpetually imprinted upon the understanding of God's people that they were there because of ransom. Once a year, as they gathered to celebrate the Passover meal, they remembered the lamb that sacrificially gave its life for the ransom of many. On a regular basis, as they walked through the camp and walked past the tabernacle, they saw the priesthood, the Levites, serving daily throughout their life as a substitution, as a ransom for many. When they saw the Levite serving God, they were reminded, oh, they're serving as a substitute so I can be free. That meant every single time the nation took a census and there was a count that rich or poor, according to the number, they gave the money remembering this payment is a ransom so that we can go free. Continually and always, ransom was in front of them. There's another example in the, the law of, of Israel. Say you had an ox. I don't have an ox. Any of you guys have an ox? Anyone have an ox? Okay, you know, it's not one of those things that most people have in their pocket. Um, say you have an ox, and that ox gets out and gores and kills somebody. Well, now what do you do? Well, according to the law, that ox has to die. It is sacrificed. It's killed. And so is the owner. unless an acceptable payment is made for their life. It's specifically called a ransom. Now, what we have to remember, and this is so important, ransom means paid, not canceled. If you're someone who writes notes, you got to put that down. Understand, this means paid, not canceled. God did not cancel. He paid. There was a ransom. 
Let me illustrate this from the office of the President of the United States. Mm -hmm. Speak truth to power. That's what we do. Okay. Um, so the office of the President of the United States has incredible power, constitutional power, given to them in the power of pardon or commuting a federal criminal sentence. Okay. It's pretty impressive, actually, if you read what a president is able to do. And that'll come up in the news. Oftentimes, as the president's on their way out, you know, they'll sign a bunch of pardons. And it goes through a long vetting process. I mean, there is, it's not just like, he's like, hey, here you go. Pardon for you, pardon for you, pardon for you. It's like not like Oprah at Christmas, right? <laughs> pardon for you, pardon for you. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, but he can do one of two things. He can commute a sentence, okay? That means, let's say Mary is guilty of a federal crime. It has to be federal, okay? And it's just because you're seeing there. I love you, Mary. It's all good, okay? Okay, it has to be a federal offense, not state. If it's state, then that's handled with the governor at the state level. But a federal offense, she's committed a federal crime. She's a federal prisoner. She's in federal prison. She's a prisoner. The president can commute that sentence. Let's say she did something and the law said, well, she's got to serve 20 years. To commute it means, all right, she served five. Uh, I'll knock off 10 or maybe I'll knock off the rest of it, but we'll treat it like she's served it. Such so when she comes out of prison, she is still a convicted criminal. And she doesn't have the rights that are also kept from convicted criminals. She can't vote. She can't. You know, carry arms, you can't do a lot of those things, okay? That's the difference of being pardoned. To being pardoned means it's as if that didn't happen at all. When she comes out, she can vote, she can carry arms, she can do all the things that every other citizen can do. It's as if it didn't happen. So it means to pardon, okay? To pardon her. God did not pardon Israel. Israel was ransomed. If it was canceled, there'd be no reason for a lamb, no reason for a Levitical priesthood, no reason for atonement money. But for the prisoner and the slave to go free, there has to be ransom. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, student loan forgiveness. I love the faces you guys give me when I preach. It's, I feel warmed. I'm just like, I feel so accepted and loved by you, okay? Um, you might feel one way about it or the other. You might be a fan, not a fan. Hey, what we'll do is we'll give everyone, you know, $10,000, $50,000. We'll just cancel their debts, cancel the student loan. There's a lot of, you know, there's multiple versions of it that's floating around. They're trying to get something pushed through. We'll just cancel it. You can't just cancel it. Oh, the government will pay it. The government doesn't pay anything. Who pays for it? My wife and I joke all the time. Who's going to pay for it? We will. My kids will. You're not canceling it. You're just going to substitute a different payer in for it. Okay? Understand the difference? To ransom means to pay. It does not mean to cancel. Why does that matter? All of that to say this, Jesus understood and described his whole ministry as one of ransom. 
what Jesus did in his life and in his ministry was one of ransom. To help you understand that, let me tell you a story. Okay? Two brothers, James and John. Great guys. Love them to pieces. Followers of Jesus. Apostles of Jesus. That means of all the many disciples that Jesus had, these were of the two that he picked out to be apostles, sent ones, uh, official title-bearing ones, James and John. And they're following along, and good Jewish mom says, Hey, Jesus, aren't my boys so wonderful? It's good Jewish mom is what she does. Look at James. Look at John. Okay. Why don't you let one sit on your left hand and one sit on your right when you come into the kingdom? You know, because they're like, they're the best. They're the best. Let one sit on your left, let one sit on your right. And James and John are like, oh, mom, stop it. Mom, stop it. And Jesus says, um, I, you have no idea what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Oh, yeah, we can drink from any cup. You got a cup? We'll drink from a Tupperware. We drink from that cup. We drink a, you got cups? We'll drink your cups. Jesus said, you're right, you will. You will drink the cup that I drink from. Can you be baptized in the baptism I'm immersed in? Can you be overwhelmed with the suffering that I'm about to go through? You're right, you will. And he talks to him about power. He talks to him about seeking power. And then Jesus makes this very important statement in Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So what is it that Jesus is doing, especially during this, this Lenten preparation season, as we look towards the cross, what is happening at the cross? Jesus understood it to be a sacrificial payment for slaves and prisoners. What I'm doing, he says, I'm offering my life as a sacrificial payment for slaves and prisoners so they can go free. He saw his life as one of exchange, as one of substitution. Because remember, that's, that's, that's what a priest does. A priest stepped into the role of service so that the people could be free. Instead of us having to serve before the Lord, the priests are going to do it instead. Jesus saw himself stepping in as substitute for everybody else. Jesus saw himself as the Lamb of God, sacrificing for everybody else. Isn't that what John the Baptist said? Sees Jesus coming down. Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. How? He makes payment. He makes Ransom. So what? The slaves and the prisoners can go free. Well, here's the question. Who's the slaves and the prisoners? Who's the slaves and the prisoners? Those who are chained under the law. A prisoner is a prisoner to the law. In Galatians chapter 3, the apostle Paul put it this way. 
Christ redeemed us. The word redeemed, okay, it means to deliver, to rescue. A redeemer will ransom. Okay, how did Jesus become my redeemer? He ransomed. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We are cursed to be under the law. Why? We broke the law. That's how we're set free. How many of you have been watching the Murdoch murders? Those trials, right? Some of you, right, yeah. I got no clue, got nothing. Enough of you, tell me what I need to know. I don't need to go looking for it, okay? Okay, here is a man who... um, was accused of and convicted this week of murdering his wife and murdering his son, whose also name was Paul. And he was convicted by a jury of his peers. I know there's, you know, contestation. Did he do it? Did he not do it? Mm -hmm. But you saw him at the end. Once the verdict was read, he had on his prisoner jumper and he was chained. What was he chained to? He was chained to the law. He's a prisoner of the law because he broke the law. Who is it that Christ is setting free? Who are the slaves? Those who are the slaves of sin. Who are the prisoners? Those who are in bondage and chains because they have broken the law. We have broken and violated the perfect moral law of God. And as such, you stand condemned. And you can plead your case all you want. But I'm a good person. I go to church. Not enough. Not enough. I did nice things. Not enough. Not enough. Even all the lambs in Israel, all the Levites in Israel, all the money that there was could not ransom Israel. They still had to do it every single year, continually, perpetually, until one would come who would lay down his life, a perfect sacrifice, and then sit at the right hand of God saying, done, finished, paid. But this is what's very important to note. Because of Jesus, he did not cancel your sin. He did not commute your sentence. He did not pardon you as if it never happened. He ransomed you, meaning he paid your debt. To fly through upon clouds of love and unicorns and rainbow kittens. To say that God canceled my sin is very wrong theology and belittles the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made to pay your debt. How do you respond to this? What what do you do with something like this? The word ransom. How should it shape your thinking? Let me tell you a story. You guys like stories, right? Let me tell you a story. 1833, President Andrew Jackson. Good name. Okay. 
a pardon comes across his desk for a man named George Wilson who robbed the mail. This is a federal crime. This is a federal offense that deserves death. And because of George's connections and his influence, able to get a pardon in front of the president, and the president actually gave him a pardon. Only one problem. George wouldn't accept it. Here you are. You stand to be hung. You are judged guilty in the presence of the law. The president has offered you a pardon. I don't want it. What do you do? What do you do? So they sent it to the Supreme Court. So we got this thing where we got a guy who did a bad thing and he's going to be hung for it. In fact, the rest of his friends are going to hang for it. And the president pardoned him, but he won't accept the pardon. What are we supposed to do? And this is what the Supreme Court said. The pardon is a deed that must be accepted. Without acceptance, it is not effective. Without acceptance, it is not effective. So George sat in jail for another 10 years until another president offered him a pardon. President Van Buren. This one George actually accepted and was able to go free. Your ransom is a deed that must be accepted. If it's not accepted, it is not effective. And you will get to pay your own sentence. With ransom in the back of our mind, I want to take us back again full circle to the passage that I read you in Job when we started. Job 33. Job 33. Again, I'm going to start in verse 19 and again I'm going to read all the way down to verse 28. And now that you have a more uh, deeper understanding of what that word ransom means. Maybe this passage will take us to a different place. Emotionally, mentally. In Job 33, starting in verse 19, a younger man speaking to an older man in the midst of great suffering. What is it that God has to say? Man is rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones. So that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away. It cannot be seen in his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. Oh, if there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand to declare to man what is right for him to do. And God, he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a Ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. And man prays to God and accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy. He restores to him his righteousness. The man sings before men and says, I sinned. I perverted what was right. And it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul 
from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. What do we see the man do in the message of ransom? He prays, he repents, he accepts, he sings, he proclaims. The ransom must be accepted if it's going to be effective. I have found a ransom. In Jesus, I have found my ransom. He did not cancel my debt. He paid my debt. He did not cancel my sin. He sacrificed his life for my sin. And so I sing. I sing as loud as these lungs will let me sing. For I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Or you can pay it yourself. Or you can pay it yourself. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, Come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions.